Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2.15, please. 2 Timothy, our New Testament. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. And if you remember last week, we talked about this whole issue of rightly dividing, rightly being uh, accurately uh, and dividing is this, in some of our translations say handling. Um, so really to be, to, to, the thought for thought is rightly interpreting, rightly teaching, rightly communicating and understanding what God has revealed to us. I, I asked you the trick question last, well, two weeks ago, I keep saying last week, two weeks ago, I asked you the trick question, does God call us to study our Bibles? In in one sense, obviously, yes, but to be more precise, God wants us to study and to handle His Word accurately and correctly. Um, And that means that, that we have, there are certain tools, there are certain principles that we have to apply in order to understand, correctly understand, correctly interpret the Word of God. Now, if I were, if the Aurora Police Department called you, uh, and they said, we need you to come to 4041 South Nuclear Way because there's been a murder. And we want you to investigate that murder. So that you, that you walk to the front door and they say, go at it. What would you do? Probably wouldn't have the first thing. You wouldn't know the first thing to do. I, well, I guess you'd want to look for uh, the body and then do the chalk thing. I don't know. Do they, I don't even think they do that anymore. Uh, well, what we do in the church is we tell people, you need to study your Bibles, and we don't t- teach and show people how to do it. And so what, that, that's really what the last two weeks ago and, and what this week is about, is, is how do I approach, how do I accurately interpret, how do I accurately understand the Word of God? Um, so, uh, that's what we're doing. Now, if, if all the research is even close to being right, a large percentage of Christians, well, too large a percentage of Christians rarely read their Bibles on a regular basis, much less study their Bibles. And again, I think that probably uh, that, that, that's, that's a sad reality, but I think in many cases it's because no one really know how to approach it. How do I do it? And so um, it's my experience that uh, those who attempt to do it, we, we, you're, you're resigned to doing it in kind of an ad hoc, haphazard way. Uh, and so hopefully this morning um, we'll learn how to, to approach it. Now, this is not the only way, um, and, and maybe you can come up with your own tools, but hopefully this will help get you started. Um, we don't want to approach and study the Bible in kind of a piecemeal fashion where we're, where we're just proof texting and we're... we're Connecting this verse with this verse or this verse with that verse. Um, But we want to, again, as the scripture says, we want to rightfully divide or rightly handle the word of truth. Um, There are seven tools that I want us to study, that I want us to look at in terms of study the Bible for yourself. Some of these, many of these you know already, so this will be a mere reminder. But I've put a little bit of a different slant on them, I think, on some of them. So number one is preparation. And, and, and this is the one that, that those who study the Bible usually overlook. And that is, we need to prepare ourselves. Uh, this is a book that is, that is written in, in, in a language, in sentences, and grammar. And we can understand with our minds, we can understand sentences, and we can understand paragraphs. Um, in fact, some of, the, um, some of the most brilliant Greek scholars... Who, who, could, who could tell you anything about the Word of God, who understood it, didn't believe it. So it's not a matter of understanding. It's a, it, there is something else that we need to do first, and that is we need to prepare ourselves. Psalm 119, 18. Psalm 119, 18. And again, for those of you that are, that are guests, uh, this, this is not our normal, normal approach. We normally go through a book of the Bible. This is going to maybe seem a bit tedious, but I think it's important. Um, so bear with me if you would. Um, Psalm 119.18 The psalmist says, Open my eyes that I, may see, that I may see wondrous things from your law. I put in this expectation 
before we study the Bible, before we look, before we open our, our, our Bibles and we start reading and studying it, we need to pray. We need to, we need to approach it with a spirit of expectation. That we're expecting God to work in our lives through it. Now, that's not to say that every time you study our Bible that you're going to have some kind of aha moment and, and some kind of grand epiphany. But an expectation that God is going to meet us in the Bible. Uh, someone, I think it was Justin Peter said this. If you want to hear Jesus talk, read the Bible. If you want to hear him talk audibly... Read your Bible out loud. So, the expectation is, this is, God's, this is how God speaks to us. Now, the, the Spirit is involved, and that's why part of this preparation is, is expectation. The other, the other part is dependence. We're absolutely, completely dependent upon Him to reveal truth to us. We can, we, can, we can understand a certain amount of truth intellectually, but I'm talking about that kind of truth that, that soaks into our hearts. Uh, turn to Psalm 119, turn to uh, verse 103. Another part of, of preparation. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. First uh, Peter 2.2. 2. Like newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Listen. If you don't have a heart that wants to meet with God, if you, your desire, that you're absolutely completely dependent upon Him, but your desire is to, is to meet with Him in and through His Word, then all of this will be purely academic. Preparation is so important. And, and I tell you this, as, as, as someone who preaches and teaches regularly, this is the biggest challenge I have, that I have, that I have to remember to do. Uh, that it's not just parsing verbs and conjugating nouns. It's not just, well, so many of the things that we're doing here today, but it's saying, God, I don't want to just prepare a sermon. I want, I want to meet with you in your word. And that has to be a constant reminder on my part. So the first one is... First step is preparation. The first tool is to prepare yourself to have an open, expectant, thirsty, hungry heart. Number two, excavation. Now, most of you probably have heard this as observation. Observation is too passive for me. I like the word excavation. What's excavation? Digging. Digging. Yeah. Yeah. Part of studying God's Word is digging. Now, to be sure, devotionally, if you just read your Bible devotionally um, without, without doing many things we're talking about, God's Word is kind of like there's gold nuggets on the surface. That as we walk along the surface, we can pick up gold nuggets. There's no doubt about that. Um, but there are, there are, are they, can they call them veins? Gold veins? What do they call them? Veins? There are gold veins beneath the surface that in order to get to it, you have to dig. You have to do a little bit of digging. So that's what we're talking about. You've got to learn how to dig. Excavation is to expose or to lay bare by digging. And this is the step where we say, what does it say? What does the text say? Now let me tell you what most people do at this point. They open their Bibles and they start reading it. And, and, and I can't tell you how many Bible studies I've been in. And we read a portion of the, te- of the, of the text and they say, what does that mean to you? That, that, there's a point where we're going to talk about that, but that's, not, that's jumping several steps. The first step is to say, what does the text say? It, we don't even say, what does it mean at this point? We're saying, what does the text really say? It's amazing to me how many times uh, people think the Word of God has said something and has never said that. Because they've never really excavated, they've never really dug, they've never said, what does the text say? So, if you have your hand out. Oh, we'll, 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 go, we'll do that in a minute, we'll do that in a minute. Because then it messes up my neat PowerPoint slide. So, again, this is, uh, this is what does it say? We dig. Alright? Number three. Organization, uh, and this is one that a lot of people miss too, is not just what does it say, but how does he say it? How does the author say it? Um, 
in my humble opinion, this is, this is something that's, that's missing in a lot of uh, books and manuals on how to study the Bible, is structure. Uh, structure conveys meaning. Um, and it's important, and we're going to look at some examples of this, it's important that you learn how to, to see how has he organized uh, the, the text that I'm reading. Um, if you are here for our Roman study, sometimes it's very difficult, especially in, in some of Paul's letters. With, with John, First John, it's just almost impossible. Um, but if you were here for Romans 6, I, you, you can tell I, I struggled with the structure of Romans 6. It's not always easy to discern the, the structure and the organization. In other words, what I mean by organization is his train of thought. What is his train of thought? That's going to be very important for understanding meaning. Organization. So we have preparation, excavation. Excavation is when we dig. What does it say? We're just gathering evidence at that point. Then we start to say, not just what does he say, what has he said, but how has he said it? Then and only then do we move to interpretation, which is, what does it mean? Now here's an important part about interpretation. Interpretation has to arise directly from excavation and organization. It has to tie together with what you've just done. Um, It'd be like if uh, Halliburton went and dug a hole for oil. And then they went over here and tried to start extracting it. Well, no, the, the, the interpretation, it has to arise from the work you did digging the hole. It has to be connected and has to arise from excavation. And I know, I know fracking, sometimes you go this way or that way. But um. Is there anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> I can see him going. He's saying, Brooks, stay in your lane, bro. Interpretation. It has to arrive directly or derive directly from your excavation and your organs. In other words, what is the author talking about? And we're going we're gonna, to we're look at a passage together, and we're gonna, you're going to see how all this works. But the first question of interpretation is, what is he talking about? In other words, what's the, what's the theme? What's the overall theme? And that, will, and that will be much easier if you've done good excavation. In fact, in, in many, many cases, it will be blatantly clear what he is talking about. The second part of interpretation, though, is not just what is he talking about, but what is he saying about what he's talking about. And here we have to identify what are the main ideas and what are the subordinate ideas. And this is really easy. All you have to do, and this is why I recommend for study a more literal translation like New King James or New American Standard, because the main verbs are the main ideas. It's real simple. And usually, those main verbs are, come early in the paragraph. And, and we're going to think paragraph. Uh, so it's very easy. Your main verbs are usually your main ideas. And your other verbs are your supporting ideas, which are like, remember we've talked about participles, right? So participles usually are not the main idea. We'll look at that in a minute. Interpretation. What is he talking about? What is he saying about what he's talking about? Here's the question you ask yourself. What's the big idea? As I look at this text, whatever text you've chosen, what's the big idea? That is interpretation. Four is application. Um, when I was in seminary, I, I, uh, the, the president of Denver Seminary was Haddon Robinson. He wrote, literally wrote the book. Literally and metaphorically wrote the book on preaching. Um, and he also wrote a, a, a lesser-known paper, uh, I don't think it was ever published, called The Heresy of Application. Um, in, in that, it, if we do all these steps, and then we take some kind of application that is completely unrelated to what we've just studied, then it's, it's probably off base. Just as interpretation needs to be connected and rise directly from your excavation, so your application has to derive directly from your interpretation. So we have, we're answering the question, what does, what does it mean, mean to me? Now and only now do we ask that question. Only after we have 
interpreted, we've organized, we've excavated, then what does it say, what does it mean? Then what does, what does it mean, mean to me? And in fact, what often happens is, is people rush to number five. They read the text and they rush to number five. And I would suggest that that is not the way to accurately handle the Word of God. Now, number six is probably the most important one. Exertion. And this is, uh, this is a biggie. In, and, and admittedly, this is just anecdotal. Uh, in my observation of people studying the Word is they, they read a passage and, and it doesn't come automatically. And, and they have to work a little bit. And so here's what they do. Here, is they automatically, I don't understand this, it's hard to understand, I'm not sure what he's saying. And, and what do they do? They immediately run to a commentary. Now, there's a place for commentaries, we're going to look at that next. What I'm going to encourage you to do is to wrestle with the text. Wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. What does it mean? What does it say? What does it mean? Well, what, is, what, is, what does it mean mean to me? Take some time to wrestle with that. Don't automatically rush to, um, to, to a commentary set. Um, th- this is one of the things I think that we need to really work on. We need to wrestle, 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 which means I encourage you to write, write, write. W-R-I-T-E. Write, write, write. I wish I, uh, I, I could show you uh, I, I, on, on an average sermon, I'll probably have six or seven handwritten pages. I'm just, I'm just thinking on paper. I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking at the structure. I'm looking at the words. I'm drawing connections. We're going to look at, look at that in a minute. And I wrestle with the text. I wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Don't automatically run and put the training wheels on your bike. Wrestle with the text. Write things out. Um, don't rush to a commentary too soon. Wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Which leads to number seven. For those of you who say that I'm anti-commentary, I am not. The first, the last tool. This is not the only tool. This is one of our tools, and that is consultation. But I'll say this is the last step on purpose. What do other people say it means? Now, here, here's why this is important. If you've come up with an interpretation of a text, of, of a passage, that has escaped the entire Western church for 2,000 years, it doesn't mean you're automatically wrong. It means you're probably wrong. That's what this step is for. This step is to, is to check, to make sure that you've not come up with some creative interpretation that has never, that has never been seen before in the church. Now... If you do numbers 1 through 6, typically you're not going to end up like that. But it is from time to time beneficial just to check and say, I'm just curious to know what others have said about this. Am I in the ballpark? Or is there something maybe I've missed or something that I haven't considered? Again, um, don't skip this. Don't go from this to that. Um, I know some people, uh, in fact, some pastors, what they do is they start here. And that's a choice that they make. I don't recommend that. Because that automatically prejudices my thinking of what that text says. Number two is, I don't know if they've done steps one through six or not. I don't have any basis to determine whether they have done their homework or not. You say, come on, Jim, they're PhDs. <laughs> they're like everybody else, Rachel says. They're tired of doing homework. And so, uh, no, the, please hear me. There is a place for commentaries, and there's some good commentaries out there. There's some really bad ones. Understand, though, too, understand that com- commentators, scholars, are not unbiased. Remember, we talked about that last week. No one approaches the scriptures in an unbiased way. We all have to approach, and we dealt with that last week, we all have to recognize our theological biases and make sure that when we approach the Bible, we're not automatically reading into it something we've heard in the past. Not to say that what we've heard in the past is wrong. 
But in order to approach the scripture, we have to understand that commentators, uh, they, they have theological biases as well. Some of them are, some of them are Lutheran. One of, the, one of the ones Dan and I have liked and we've read and I read, I read from time to time is Lenski. I, but you need to understand that Lenski comes from a Lutheran perspective. You need to understand that. Okay, so all I'm saying is and, and encouraging us to do and recognizing is that you need to do your own homework. And here's why, guys. And I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I, there, is, there is nothing like the joy of, of personal discovery between you and the Lord and His Word. Don't cheat yourself of that personal discovery. Don't cheat yourself of, of, of spending time in God's Word um, and, and missing out and just going to what some of us... Don't just rely upon what God is, how someone else discovered what God said to them. You discover what God is saying to you through these, through these steps. Okay? All right, now... Take out your, that handout. Oh, one other thing, I guess. Uh, it's not up here. Miscellaneous. A couple, couple things that I do need to talk about. That is, uh, as we go through the, when you go through the Gospels, a parallel passages are going to be crucial. As we go through the Gospel of Mark, you're going to see the, that as you go through a Gospel, you really need to consult the other Gospels. And we're going to talk next week about the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic means seeing together that, that these three Gospels um, record the life and times of Jesus, the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, but they all do it from different perspectives. And it's important that you, that you check parallel passages, especially when you go through the, the Gospels. But number, number two, let, let me say this, cross-referencing. The importance of cross-referencing, but I call it the perils and pitfalls of cross-referencing. Um, Make sure a cross-reference is really a cross-reference. Uh, oftentimes, I, I, I've seen commentators do that, where they, they, here's a, here's, uh, here, they're talking about this text, and they say, well, it's like this text over here. And they've never connected the dots to show how they know that those th- two things do really, in fact, connect. So make sure, typically this is done when, when same words, this is, usually you'll find cross-referencing, what we talked about our word studies, when we do our word studies. When there's a similar context, obviously we want to always study in context when there's a similar context, just be careful of cross-referencing and make sure that your cross-reference really is referencing what's your, what's your study. Okay. All right. This is the handout that you should have. This is for your... This is for your... Uh, and By the way, I did get permission to use this. Uh, I, I did call Augsburg Fortress and they said we gladly give you permission to copy this and hand it out. Here are some things. This would be for excavation. Again, this just gives you a guideline because sometimes you say, well, start, start observing. I don't know. It's like saying, like crime scene investigation, saying investigate the murder. I don't know what to look for. So here's some things um, th- that you want to use. Now, I don't use every single one of these every single time. But there are some that are, that are very, very important. Keywords. What's a keyword? Typically, a word that is repeated is a keyword. You want to look at words. Are, are there any words that, re, that are repeated? Um, or phrases. Oftentimes, as we're going to uh, practice passage this morning, our phrases, phrases that are repeated usually are significant and are key. Uh, repetition of words will sometimes give you a clue. Um, this one's very important. Uh, be on the alert for admonitions. This would be like commands. Um, do this, don't do that. Both positive and negative commands. Reasons and results is also very important. Um, and usually we get these through our connections. So these two kind of relate. Uh, but, if, for, therefore, uh, in, into, with, all of these things are very important in, in terms of connections and how... How he's organ this this probably aligns too with organization. How is he saying what he's saying? Um, contrast, comparison, illustrations. Uh, not quite as imp- in most texts, maybe not quite as important. Uh, grammatical instructions, obviously very important. Um, verbs, adjectives. This is uh, atmosphere, uh, tone is a little more subjective. What's the tone? Don't worry about that so much. Literary form is vital. We talked about that last week. Genre of literature. Psalm 91.3. The psalmist says, God will cover you under the feather of his wings. Feathers of his wings. Does God have wings and feathers? No, of course not. Why do we know that? Well, because it's poetry. 
um, it's not, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't intended to be uh, anat- anat- what was anatomically? Anyway, anthropomorphically. Thank you, Mitch. Um, so that's also important. And then general structure, really, that's what you're going to, that's what you use the rest of this to try to find out. Okay? Okay, so you ready to go? Matthew 6, 25 through 34, one of the most troubling, one of the most reassuring and troubling verses in the Bible for me. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Now, again, have your sheet out. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If I were to say, okay, I want you to start studying that. Where would you start? Where would you go? Well, hopefully now you have kind of a start. What's your, what's your first step? Thank you, Corey. I, I thought that was going to be a trick question. How about everybody was going to go right to excavation? No, remember, you need to prepare. You need to pray. Okay? And you can come with an expectant, dependent heart. All right, what's number two? Excavate. So we want to we want to start observing and we want to start digging. We want to start investigating if this is a crime scene. Um, so let's talk. Are there any key words here as we have defined key words? Okay, good. So now you've so if someone pick. Therefore, we have one there. Are there any more? But. Okay, but. Where is? Near the end. Yeah, right there. But. And therefore. There's another therefore right here. So I guess it looks like we're on connectives right now. So that's good. Any other key connectives? Well, look and consider are kind of similar. Okay, we just want to talk about connectives right now. Yet. Yet. What does yet convey? None. What does that convey, Mr. Webster? <laughs> the the act of yetting. <laughs> It, it, it's it's in, uh, kind of a contrast. I'm, I'm almost it's almost contrastive. Okay. Anything else? So that that's that's probably a, a, another therefore. It's repetition of the first sentence, first verse. Yeah. And I've done this intentionally now. I've, I've, here's what I, I if you want to do this, this is fine. I, I've gotten to the point where I kind of I don't have to do it as much anymore. But cut and paste onto a piece of paper and take away the verse numbers. Um, uh, someone has, and, I, and, and by the way, I've studied this a lot, and I saw something new. Then someone just mentioned it. I saw something new that I that I had not seen before, and that is a repetition of a of a paragraph or, or of a sentence. Uh, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you lead, about your body, what you will wear. It's also down here. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? It's a, it's a, he's repeating, Jesus is repeating this sentence here. So already I'm seeing, I'm starting to see structure. Probably something, this starts a, a new section. Okay. All right. Anything else? Any other? Let's talk about words. Any other key? Not just connectives. Not prepositions. Any? Are there any key words? Right here. Worry. If you were to go through here five times, worry is mentioned in this little section, and three of those five times, that is is in front of it. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Now, right off the bat, what is he probably saying? 
Okay, we've already pretty much already just keywords, and you've already narrowed in on this. That's the easy. This is an easy one, but you've already worried zeroed in on what the big idea is. So, any of your interpretation or application has to be related somehow to what? Don't worry or worry in some form, some fashion. Okay. All right. Anything else? What else do you see on your in your sheet? We saw some key connectives. This is full of questions. If you notice that, he says, look at the birds. Okay, is not, is, is not life more than food in the body, more than clothes? Now, uh, this is from New King James. Uh, a lot of times your, our, our modern translations, our translations will change the sentence, uh, rhetorical sentences into more, more statements. So really this is, um, is, life, is not life more than food in the body, more than clothes? The, the, and the implied answer is yes. So questions. This is a rhetorical. This is a rhetorical um, device. Are you not much more valuable than they? Yeah, you're more valuable than birds, Bob. Just want you to know that. Um, okay. So here's a little bit. Just what I what I came up with. The kind of thing that that you you can do. Uh, I is my key connect is so for but. Therefore, I, I didn't do yet, that, but that, is, that's gonna, that was going to be important. Uh, worry, I just circled and highlighted all the locations of worry. And then, I, uh, and then I started, do not worry about what? Eat or drink or wear. We see it down here again. Uh, where am I? Here it is. Eat, drink, or wear. So, I took... The key connectives, and I divided this into three sections, maybe four. The first one is because of this paragraph. So here's the, here's the general statement. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. And then he's, then he's going to talk more about this. Is not life more than body, more than clothes? Uh, or food and clothes? So I put food and clothes and drink. I noticed two phrases, much more. Much more. This is a lesser to greater argument. So somehow he's talking about food and drink here. Then he says, and why do you worry about clothes? So this he's talking about clothes. This paragraph he's talking about clothes. This is the one he repeats from up here. So this starts a new section. Only here he's not talking about food and drink and clothes. He's talking about what? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things added to you. Look at that four right there. What does four mean? You look at your you can cheat, look on your sheet if you want. It's either result or purpose. So do not worry. Four. Why? So now he's asking, why shouldn't I worry? So I thought this is this is what. I'm not to worry about. This is why I'm not supposed to worry. And why am I not supposed to worry? Yeah. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So, therefore, for is reason. So, this is more, although this does have, why shouldn't I worry based on this section? He's going to take care of it. Food, drink, and clothes. He's going to take care of it. Why shouldn't I worry based on this section? That's not what children of God do. The the pagans run after all these things. The implication is that they worry about these things. The implication is you shouldn't. We shouldn't. Why? Because your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, now here's, the, here's the, the difficult part. So, we are not to worry, but what are we supposed to do? Just seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Is that true? Okay, in context, what are these things? 
I suppose you could say your, your, your basics, your necessities in life, your basic necessities. Okay? Right? Everybody agree with that? Seek first, and all these things will be given to you. Is that true? Here's the, here's the difficult part, and this is where you have to wrestle. Don't just run to a commentary now to see what Jim Bob Mahoney has to say. Wrestle with this. What is, what is the difficulty with that statement? Has no, has, has, have no Christians ever lacked food and drink and clothes? Need I only say North Korea? Uh, Don't have to go to North Korea. Tom, uh, in Tanzania, where Paul and Virginia are, are they are they like the reigns or what's that? Five hundred year reigns. Houses are just completely washed out. Well, wait a minute. I thought he said he was going to provide for that. So what's the answer? I'll let you struggle with that. Corey. Where, where are you? Here? Therefore. Oh. Perfect. Because that's context. So what do you? What would you then? What, what, what would you say that that in, in, would influence this? Yeah, yeah. The, you, you raised a good point because we t- we talked about context last week. I I missed that though. I should have done that. The therefore really points back. He, he's talking about hoarding. That that in other words, in the if you read the section before, is that I gain I gain my my. my my sense of security for the future I place in money and stuff. Um, and he's saying, don't do that. Uh, you trust me to provide for you. Thank you, Corey. That's excellent. You get an A for the day. Okay. Colossians. Here's, here's another one I did on Colossians 1, 13 through 20. Um, again, um, right, right, right. Wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Um, Colossians 1, uh, 1 through 12. Uh, so these are just examples. Uh, some, some you notice there are more than, than others. Sometimes I sit down and I study and, and it just uh, it, it doesn't seem to be, to, to be as fruitful in terms of excavation. Um, but just spending time in the Word is going to be worth it. Uh, you notice here the, these lines I usually use in, for, from the standpoint of organization. Uh, here is section one, section two, and section three, and I used the word or the, the, the uh, contrastive particle but as kind of uh, starting a new section. So here I guess um, the problem, the solution, uh, any way you want to do it. Okay? Any questions about that? So in your, in your study, how much of a passage do you want to... Ah, that's a great question. Here's, here's what I recommend. I recommend that whatever translation you use, uh, you pick... Uh, it, it's what we call a, a pericope or, or a passage. Um, New American Standard is a little harder to do. Um, but most of our translations, uh, the only way is, is a passage where it's marked out... Um, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to look at an example. A lot of times our, our Bibles have section headings. Those are not part of the text, but uh, they give you an idea of a section heading. It's, 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 it's pick one of the section headings. Okay, so for instance, uh, I just opened, turn to Luke ch- chapter 11. You know what? Let, let, no, I, I want to keep. Turn to Matthew chapter. Uh, 
Let's stay in Matthew chapter. Let's do it. Matthew seven. Here's a good example, because a lot. I've talked to Dan about this, or Dan has mentioned this before. Seven fifteen. How does seven fifteen begin? Beware of false prophets. Now, do I? Is this is this the beginning of a new section, or or am I dividing something? What has come before? Well, he's talking about the narrow gate. So this is probably the beginning of a new subject or, or a new uh, theme. Um, where would it end? Probably verse 23, because in 24 he's talking about builders. So I would do 15 through 23, but my, my, my translation gave me those sections. So it's going to be important that when you read verse um, 21 that you understand that 15 through 20 are connected to that. In, in fact, many of you have heard me say this. Verse 20, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. We can't just proof text that verse and say, Oh my gosh, am I, am I, am I not a Christian or not? No, because what is verse 21 talking about? Verses 15 through 20. The false prophets. So, that's a key. So my answer is just use your transla- whatever translation you use. Use the sections that they've already divided up in. Okay. Anything else? Any other observations, questions? That maybe something that you do that you found helpful in your study. Do you want to share? Outside of commentary, what are some of the tools that you find most helpful? Like Yeah. Uh, Studylight.org. Um, is very beneficial uh, in terms of in terms of uh, referencing like word studies and things like that. That's um, here's what I recommend you do. I recommend you do a translation comparison in Study Light or uh, not Study Light uh, Bible Gateway. You can get any translation you want, uh, pretty much, and you can do a lot just through Bible Gateway and translation comparisons. Um, any any other kind of word studies like Lo and Nida, uh, they, they, they get to be pretty technical. Um, Strong's, you, a lot of you are familiar with Strong's. That's that's another good one, uh, and I think it's key to other things other than just King James now. Um, yeah. What would be some tips for like a young? Yeah. I, I would just say use these steps. Just go through these steps and compare. Because uh, sometimes it's hard to forget about what you, what your pre your, your your pre-understanding is. But but um, bring your pre-understanding and compare it and walk through this and say, does my pre because your pre-understanding may in fact be be correct, may be accurate, but bring it and, and compare it to your own personal study of it. Uh, objective study using these tools. Uh, it may be right, it may be accurate, but if it's not, we we have. Listen, here's the thing. We have. Uh, I was talking to Lindy about this. That there are some things that I feel uncomfortable with, uh, that that create theological tension for me. But I'd rather deal with theological tension and and and, and know that I've I've accurately exegeted the text. And typically, what happens is we have certain theological commitments. And when the text doesn't support that, we, 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 we alter our exegesis because we don't want to feel that theological tension. I, I'm, I'm, I'm much more comfortable living with theological tension if I feel like I've, I've accurately exegeted the text. So sometimes you're going to have, just have theological tensions. You have to say, wherever the text leads me, there I will follow. Wasn't there a song back in the... Where he leads, I will follow... Anyway, we, we go wherever the text takes us, and, and and if that creates theological tension, then then we live with that tension. We work through that tension, but um, we, 
please don't alter your exegesis because of that. And this is what we're talking... All these steps is this fancy word exegesis. As I've always said, that just enables seminary, gives them a justification to charge you an arm and a leg. It's basically... What we just went through is how we do exegesis, how we read out from the text. What does the text say and what does it mean? Anybody else have anything you do? Yeah, Blake? Well, I just want to echo something that you said uh, the other week. I think it was two weeks ago. Um, you had mentioned, look at how a word is used in context, mm. how a particular author uses a word right. that they quote. Because so often I've seen it where when people do word studies or uh, do studies of a, a quotation of an Old Testament passage, they go to, that old, to the Old Testament to see what the context is in Romans which doesn't make sense, or they say this is simply the definition of the word and completely ignore how Paul uses it in a sentence. Yeah, yeah, um, and word studies are, 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 can be abused. Um, there are a lot of different ways. D.A. Carson's written a book, uh, Exegetical Fallacies, about, you know, semant- semantic anachronism. We read modern-day definition back into an older word and so forth. So there's a lot of pitfalls in that. Um, but as I said, uh, um, it's best to study and do your word studies based on the original language. And, and this is not, guys, as I told you two weeks ago, this is not a mystery. This is not a man behind the, this is a man behind the curtain. You can do this with all of the helps that we have, uh, again. Um, but here's, here's the bottom line, is that the way Paul uses the word justification and justify is different than how James uses it. And if you import Paul's meaning into, into the way James uses it in James chapter 2, you're going you're gonna to end up in trouble. So that's why we want to do our word studies uh, based on how that word is used in the same book, how that word is used by the same author, how does Paul use, typically use this. But even that's not a guarantee. It, all, it depends on context. Um, and so we have to be very careful. Uh, and, and again, as I told you uh, two weeks ago, we, there are certain words that... that, that they're called hapax legomenon. It's the only place that it's found in the New Testament, for instance. You have to be very, very careful about drawing any hard and fast conclusions from, from those. Um, any other questions, comments? Maybe something you do that you'd like to add? Listen, guys, I, the, the, this is, I just want you to be able, I want all of us to be able just to have that, I just, every week is just this personal discovery. And, and when you see, um, uh, when you pick up on something that you didn't see before, and just that, the joy of that kind of, that kind of discovery, unless, unless that brings you joy, this will be purely academic. Um, and oftentimes God doesn't lay his treasures all out on the surface. He lays, he lays some treasures on, treasure, uh, on the surface to get us going and get us excited to start digging. And, 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 uh, and, I, and I just hope and pray that, um, that, that, that you maybe make a new commitment to, to, to go in beneath the surface. Do some excavation. Not just scooping up on the surface. Just do some excavation. Uh, and, and just the joy of personal discovery and interacting with the Lord through His Word. Uh, let, me, let me include, I, I, in one of my Bibles, I had this, this quotation. I write everything in my Bibles. Um, this is by John Stott. Most of you know who John Stott is, or was. He said this, If this book is indeed the Word of God, then away with sloven, slipshod exegesis. We have to wake up, well, we have to make time to penetrate, and I say excavate. We have to make time to excavate its text until it yields up its treasure. And that's what I'm proposing. If this is really the Word of God, uh, then it deserves that, first of all, He wants us to handle it accurately. He wants us to interpret it accurately. He wants to communicate it accurately. As accurately as we can. We're finite, fallible, sinful people. These tools will help us mitigate that. It'll help us mitigate our theological biases. And, and that personal discovery of you and the Lord, Him speaking to you through His Word. And again, if you want to hear Him speak audibly, read it out loud. Let's pray. Father, I know this has been tedious, this has been academic, but Lord, it is so important um, for us. 
And, and Lord, the more that we practice this, I know in my experience, it will become more natural. Um, God, we don't ever want to handle your word irresponsibly. We don't want to mold it to our desires. We don't want to make it say what we want it to say. Uh, Father, we, we want to truly, um, rightly divide your word. So God, help us. We are absolutely completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit and His ministry to illuminate our minds to truth. But we must dig. And we must wrestle. And, and we must interact with these texts. Uh, to, to know what you have revealed to us. This is your word to us. Oh God, help us to, uh, to have a, a hunger and a thirst for your word. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay, I just thought of something. Here's what, here's what I, I challenge you to do. We're going to start in Mark next week. So why don't you start studying Mark? All right? And see if you come up with what I come up with. Uh, you may be right. I may, I may not be right. I bet you'd be surprised, though. If it, listen, one last thing. If, if everyone d- did these steps, you'd be surprised at how 99% of the time, how really close we'll be. You don't need someone to tell you what. Just do these steps. We'd be surprised how every close every single one of us would be. Um, so that, that would be an idea. Is you start working through Mark. So Mark 1, 1 through 13. That's your assignment. All right? Anything else? For those of you at home, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, try, to, I'll try to scan this. And... Uh, Oh, unless you want to go ahead and take notes. No, I'll, I'll scan it and send it out. I'll, I'll just do. I'll scan it and send it to everybody. That way you have it. Okay. All right. Thank you guys. You're dismissed. Thank you to our, our guests. Corey, you guys, it's good seeing you again, and and thank you for being here. Um, I have a special gift for you. Parents get a special gift. So I got a special gift for you. So seriously, so before you go, you're dismissed. Thank you. Have a great day. I'm Mitch West. Hi. This is my wife, Jamie. We're friends with Esther.